Uh, trust your week is going well. Uh, we are in the book of Ephesians tonight, and so uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our study here. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble in Jesus' name, for the freedom that we yet enjoy to do so. But uh, Lord, we thank you that you are unstoppable. The, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. You're building your church is unstoppable. And so, Lord, we just thank you that you are the, the hands-down dominant force in the universe, always have been, always will be. And so, Lord, help us to keep our focus on you. We see this emphasis tonight strongly in our text. And so, uh, bless our study as we uh, spend time in the Word together. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The theme of Ephesians is, and we could round it out, the, what kind of church? Universal church. Right. The universal church. And after the greeting, we have really one long grand sentence, which, of which the, the, the grand subject is our salvation. And I've kind of compared it to the Grand Canyon. Yes, I've been to the Grand Canyon. Yes, I saw the Grand Canyon. And yes, yet I only saw a little glimpse of the Grand Canyon, if the truth is known. 277 miles long, 18 miles wide, one mile deep. How much of the Grand Canyon did I see? I didn't even get to the bottom of the place. Yeah, I saw just a little bit. And with our salvation, we certainly see enough for us to really appreciate. But uh, we don't see everything, that's for sure. God's grand plan of salvation in one long sentence here in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Very strong God-oriented emphasis. When you think of salvation, what's the first thing you think of? Well, it should be God, because God is the one who is behind our salvation. It's broken up this way. You have uh, an emphasis on the Father and His selection, what we call election, in verses 3 through 6. And then there's an emphasis on the Son and His redemption in verses 7 through 12. And then there's an emphasis on the Spirit and His sealing ministry in verses 13 and 14. So we see all three of those emphases there. Uh, We note here that it starts out in verse 3 saying that we have been blessed with, are you ready for this? Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. This really relates to uh, positional truth, the spiritual positional blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And uh, note these blessings are found where? In Christ. Outside of Christ, you don't have these. Uh, These spiritual blessings you cannot claim outside of Christ. But in Christ, they're yours. And uh, what do they include? Well, verse 4, chosen. Verse 5, predestined. Verse 5, adopted. Verse 6, accepted. Verse 7, redeemed. Verse 7, forgiven. Verses 8 and 9, enlightened. Verse 11, inheritance. Verse 13, sealed. And verse 14, guaranteed. These are the things that he's talking about that relate to the, the, the wonderful truth of our salvation and uh, the blessings that we have in salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, there's an emphasis on, as I've already focused on, a tremendous emphasis on God, uh, the sovereign work of God. But there's also, uh, it's brought in, kind of a sub-emphasis, But on human response, we see this in verse 12 and verse 13, that we who first trusted 
in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So there was a, a, a response. Yes, it didn't happen in a vacuum. It was God who brought us to that point. But they trusted, and speaking of the Jews first, but then verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also having believed, you were sealed, etc. So there is an emphasis on, yes, all of these things that God does, the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. But how did what was involved in, in us coming to that point? Well, we had to believe. And so we see this, uh, this divine mystery here, emphasis on sovereignty, and yet human response in the mix there too, as far as believing. All right. Well, that brings us to where we are tonight. And let's get started. Uh, somebody want to read for us uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Who wants to read that? Yeah, John. Okay, Uh, the therefore ties back to what he has just said in this long, grand sentence on salvation. Uh, In in view of this so great a salvation, he he says this. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, what, what what does that mean? I mean, Paul spent three years at Ephesus. Had he just come to hear about their salvation? Um. We think there's probably more than Ephesus in view here. Uh, Remember, we think this is what kind of a letter? A circular letter. That's right. And so that might be part of it here. You know, he's not addressing specific people in the letter. It's very general as far as like he's got a broader audience than just those folks he knew very well at Ephesus. So it's probably this this, uh, would be one of the evidences where uh, we're talking about a a circular letter. Also beyond that, it had been five years since he had been, uh, approximately five years since he'd been at Ephesus. And so, uh, you know, there was undoubtedly people that got saved in that whole process that that, that he hadn't met personally. But again, some think this is just... um, kind of a, a statement of progress that he has heard about them and their faith and uh, what's going on with them as evidenced in their love for all the saints here. So it could be just a general statement in terms that he's been hearing about how they've been doing as far as their faith and their love. He says, uh, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, uh, faith has an object and that is the Lord Jesus uh, Lord means, uh, Lord is a, a word, uh, kurios, the Greek word that denotes authority, always denotes authority. And when used of the risen Lord, it always refers to authority related to his deity. It's the idea of God master. Lord means God master when used of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus means God savior. And uh, so uh, note that emphasis there. That's the object of our faith, uh, Lord and and Savior. I I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Faith and love go together. Now, it's never love first and then faith. It's faith first. and, And the fruit of the faith is love. But they are connected in that sense, in the sense that uh, love is the fruit of true faith. Uh, Faith works through love, Galatians 5, 6. Uh, We know that we have passed from death into life because we do what in 1 John 3, 14? We love the brethren, right. So what if you don't love the brethren? 
Oh, you, you have probably not, I shouldn't say probably, you haven't passed from death into life. I mean, it says we know we have because we love the brethren. I mean, so the expectation is if you have true faith, you'll love the brethren. I'm always amazed. You know, I, one time I said to a person who used to come to our church and uh, he just dropped out. And uh, I, we talked about being a believer. Oh, yeah, believer, believer. I said, do you love the brethren? What's that question about? Well, it says, this is how we know we've passed in death and life because we love the brother. Not because we mouth the magic word, I believe. Now, it is the all important issue that you do believe, but the fruit of that is that you love. So note, uh, he says here, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. That's a package. Goes together biblically. And since he's uh, heard of this, he says he does not cease to give thanks for you. Making mention of you in my prayers. Uh, note he didn't say, I have not ceased to complain about you. I had three years there, and I know what it's like there. Miserable bunch of folks grumbling and complaining all the time. No, he didn't say that, did he? He says he's giving thanks for them. He's rejoicing in them. And uh, we ought to re- rejoice in what God has done in the life of the saints. Uh, you know, even though we kind of irk each other once in a while, we still should be thankful for one another. We're going to have all eternity together. Uh, I think about that sometimes with, with people who don't like me. They're going to like me. They're going to like me a lot in heaven. And not only that, I'm going to like them. We might even go so far as to use the word love, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, giving thanks for you. And I think he's thinking about God's work in them to where they have a faith that's demonstrating itself in love for the brethren. And then he says, making mention of you in my prayers. So he's praying for them. He says, I'm praying for you. And uh, what do you suppose he's praying about? Well, we're going to get into this. You know, what's interesting. He doesn't have a laundry list of physical things to pray for. I think there's a place for that. Certainly we can go to other scriptures that show that. But uh, that's not the emphasis of Paul in his prayer life generally, as far as what's communicated in the New Testament. Uh, The emphasis is on their spiritual well-being, right? And in particular, as we will see tonight, it's on this issue of enlightenment, that they would be enlightened. In other words, his prayer for them is that they would be getting to know God better. That's a great prayer request for people. Uh, Lord, I pray that they be getting to know you better. That's the issue. That's the idea of, of enlightenment. All right. Any other thoughts here? There's plenty of them out there, but nobody wants to voice them. Okay, that's okay. No problem with that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. Amen. That's right. It is, and we need encouragement too, don't we? And He's doing that. Yep. Amen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a commitment to the body, right? Yeah. To, to seek the welfare of the other people, right? To minister. Uh, he was going to say later on, right? About uh, doing the work of the ministry. Right. right. Which involves the brotherhood. Right. And a tremendous, as you know, Vince, the one another um, emphasis as, yeah. as carries through here. Yeah. Absolutely. You really don't. Love, really, in the New Testament is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling type of concept it is an act of the will that is seeking the the good of the other person consistently yeah 
Not that feelings don't enter in. Praise the Lord. There is that brotherly warmth too. We see different places. So it's not an either or. But yeah. All right. Very good. Let's have somebody read verse 17. Who wants to read verse 17 for us? Yes, Kate. Thank you. Okay, here's what he's praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and of course he's emphasizing that uh, relationship between the Godhead here, specifically between God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, notice emphasizing our Lord. It applies to all believers. Uh, this is who he is to us. Uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've already talked about Lord and Jesus, uh, but Christ is the is the Greek, uh, well, it's the translation of the Greek word uh, Christos, but relates to the Hebrew word Messiah, literally meaning anointed one. Uh, This is the prophesied promised one in the Old Testament. And this is who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's the fulfillment of of the prophecies. He is the coming one prophesied in the Old Testament. He's the Christ. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... The, the, the father of glory, uh, that is, he's the source of all glory. And as a, and really, as you think about the, the glory of the father, it was the son who, who manifested that, that glory of God uh, in particular as in his earthly ministry here. He put God on display. Uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory. Perhaps that's the connection, emphasizing uh, this glory that was revealed through the Son, the glory of the Father revealed through the Son. But then here's his request, that he may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Here's the specific request, and here's that issue of enlightenment, uh, that, we, that they may be able to comprehend comprehend uh, and he talks about of uh, the spirit of wisdom that spiritual insight and revelation that which has been revealed he's not talking about new revelation in the sense of new additional new testament revelation he's talking about deeper insight into that which has already been revealed that's really what he's talking about that god would give you revelation in that sense in the sense of enlightenment that we've been emphasizing deeper insight And specifically, in the knowledge of him. This is the great issue of life. It really is. You're in the right place tonight. Uh, What is the great issue in life? To know God. To know God better. To know God more deeply. That's why we're here. That's why I'm here. Do you come for another reason? No. 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 (laughs) Good, good, good. We're all on the same page here. Uh, So, But that's the great issue in life. Uh, To know God more. To appreciate him more. Uh, You know, God created us really for one major reason. You know what that reason is? For himself. For himself. We were created for his pleasure, for his purpose, to do his will, to have fellowship with him. We're not here for us. You say, well, I've got my little plans, my little agenda. Well, maybe you ought to scrap that. Uh, I mean, that's, that's not the idea. That's not why we're here. We're here for God's purpose. And we want to know him. We want to know him. And God wants us to know him. Uh, It's so exciting to have this personal relationship with God. And life is an adventure all the time because you just never know what he's going to do day in and day out. And he often works in ways that uh, take us by surprise. But we want to know him. All right. Any other thoughts here before we move into uh, uh, verses uh, 18 and on? 
Anyone else? <clears throat> okay, let's have somebody read uh, verse uh, 18. Verse 18, who wants to read that? Yeah, Coop. Thank you. So here, he's continuing on with his prayer request. Uh, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Uh, New American Standard has uh, that the eyes of your heart being enlightened. This is, is what he is praying for, that they would be enlightened. Uh, who God is in relationship to his grand plan of salvation. Remember the therefore in verse 15. Everything's really tying back to God's grand plan of salvation. And us more deeply appreciating it and understanding it. Uh, being enlightened more and more that the salvation truth that we find in those verses would come alive in our hearts is the idea. Uh, and it's interesting. You know, there's, there are do's and don'ts in the New Testament. Some people kind of try to zero in on only those things. We've got a list of do's over here and a list of don'ts over there. There is a place for those things. There, there, are, there are boundaries for sure. But the emphasis here that Paul has, the main concern of his prayer life for these people, is that they would know God and that they would have a greater appreciation for him in seeing the greatness of his salvation. Uh, just understanding the greatness of our salvation. What, what, an, what an enlightenment reality that is. So when you grow in your understanding of that. And then he says, uh, what a, he builds on that, uh, enlightenment emphasis, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That you may know what is the hope of his, his calling. Uh, I want you to look at that word know for just a minute. Uh, he really doesn't deal with feelings. There, everything's about feelings today. It's all about your feelings. I feel this, I feel that, whatever. Uh, but Paul puts an emphasis on understanding, that the eyes of your understanding, as I say, New American Standard has heart there, but uh, the eyes of your understanding, that you may know, that you may know. It's not just about experience. It's not just about emotions. Uh, I say there's a place for those things, but they're not the engine. They're the caboose. Uh, what drives this thing is, is knowledge, is what you know. And then your feelings line up with what you know. You get that backwards, you got a problem. Uh, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Uh, you got a hope? Well, I trust you do. In other words, I'm saying if you're a believer, you do have a hope. And uh, what is the hope of your calling? The idea of calling is the divine summons. And all believers have responded to this divine summons. Uh, what we call the effectual call. It, it is effective in us. We, we have responded to it. We are, we are the called in that sense. We have responded to the divine summons. And now we have a hope. Uh, we're called with a, with a destination. Uh, the hope of our, our calling. He wants them to be enlightened on this. He wants them to understand more deeply uh, about their eternal destiny. The word hope is a certain expectation. You know, we talk about a hope-so-hope and a no-so-hope, right? The world has a hope-so-hope, you know, whatever they're hoping for. They hope it works out. But we have a no-so-hope. It's, it's a certain expectation. The word hope in the New Testament do, doesn't have any, like, iffiness about it. 
It's certainty. It's a certain expectation. We haven't seen it yet, but it's, it's, it's faith about the future that, that we f- fully expect that God is going to bring about. That's the idea of our hope, a certain expectation. And, uh, you know, what, what do we think about when we think about uh, the hope of our calling? Uh, what is our destiny? What, what is our calling? Uh, what are we going to experience in the future? Can you name a thing or two? What's that? Oh, yeah. Very good. That's right. We think about heaven, right? I mean, that'd be an easy thing to say, right? And, uh, and that's great. We do look forward to heaven, uh, for sure. But there's so much more. Just let me name just a few things here. Uh, there's the rapture, right? In fact, it's called the blessed hope. Oh, yeah, there we go. That's our hope. <laughs> And that's, a, that's the hope of our calling. Uh, we're looking forward to the rapture, the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, there is the resurrection, the redemption of the body. We're going to get a glorified body just like Jesus Christ has. We're looking forward to that, right? Some of us are looking forward to it more than others. Some days we look forward to it more than others. We're going to get a new body. Uh, and we're looking forward to no more sickness, Right? No more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more parting. How about that? That's going to be great. How about the glory to come? Man, I don't know what glory is going to be like. Uh, We just can't imagine it. Uh, I had a dream about glory last night a little bit. It was pretty exciting. You always listen to sermons all night long. I just got this white. Last night I listened to Pilgrim's Progress. And evidently when they got to heaven, I was was right there with them. It's going to be something we can't imagine. It's too much for our brains. But uh, there is this seeing Christ, right? We're going to see Christ. We're going to be with him. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, There is reward. He's going to reward us for our earthly service. I mean, we're not just spinning our wheels here. We have purpose. Every day we're on an assignment here. Uh, There is the kingdom. Wow, what is it going to be like in the kingdom? You know, we're not going to be praying anymore. Your kingdom come, your will be done. His kingdom will have come. Uh, We're looking forward to that. Uh, There is ruling and reigning with Christ. There is living together eternally with God's forever family in perfect harmony. Uh, Amazing what that's going to be like. And I think it's going to be so unique. You know, there's going to be any marriage in heaven, as the Bible says. You know, Um, we've got to really do this right now. This is the only shot we got, babe. But uh, I think we're going to have a special relationship with everybody. Might still be something unique there. We're still going to have our minds. I think we'll still remember some things of this earth. But, uh, uh, wow, what a day that's going to be. There's the new Jerusalem we were singing about, right? The new Jerusalem. Uh, There is a new heaven and a new earth in which dwells only righteousness. Only, Only right, only that which is right. Uh, there's a special dwelling place that Jesus is preparing just for you. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told I go to prepare a place for, for you. Wow, special place just for me? Yeah, and you, and you, and you. We, and we're all living in the same house. It's a big house. It's called Father's house. My Father's house are many dwelling places. Wow, the hope of our calling. Yeah, well, this is exciting stuff. Bring it. And then he says here, he continues, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? 
Now, three times in this chapter, uh, he talks about inheritance. And in each case, we don't know whether it's talking about the believers as God's inheritance or our inheritance that we have in Christ. Theologically, you can make a case for, for either one of these. And the, and the good scholars, you know, you pick your side here. Um, it's not uh, always clear. But the bottom line is, what we get ultimately in our inheritance is him. And what he gets is us, right? Uh, he will be our God and we shall be his people. Exactly. And so, uh, I, you know... Uh, we could argue over that, but the emphasis seems to be here, you know, building on the hope of his calling. I maybe put just a slight little emphasis on uh, the inheritance that belongs to the saints here. Uh, okay, uh, there's more here, but any any other thoughts there before we go on to verse 19? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And we are still here, right? Right. The Lord rejoices just and not repentance are coming to know him. Yeah. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, what a great family get together is going to be. Oh. And how much rejoicing is in heaven, how the Lord rejoices. Yeah. Right? That all his kids are now before him. You know, when we get a family get together in my house, I enjoy seeing my kids <laughs> and my grandkids. You know, for me, it's just a lot of joy. And, yeah. And I'm thinking, the Lord is thinking, I can't wait until you get here. Well, amen to that, brother. The one thing I would add that's going to be a little different in heaven is at the end of the day, I'm always glad they go home to. <laughs> well, it's wonderful, but a little peace and quiet is okay once in a while, too. Oh, I see. You've got your own place. I see. Sorry, I'm going back to my own special place here now. Anyway. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's going to be different. <laughs> we probably won't do that. <laughs> anyway, okay. Any other thoughts? Let's go on to verse uh, 19. Who wants to read uh, verse 19? Yeah, Pat? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Okay. Uh, we've talked about two things. There's really three things that he relates to enlightenment here, Okay. Uh, the hope of his calling, number one. Number two, the riches of the glory of, of this inheritance. And now, this, number three, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And he really focuses in on this power theme. I mean, it's the dominant emphasis in terms of the enlightenment that he's praying for, for these people, that they really would get a feel for the greatness of, of this power. In fact, um, it's almost like he exhausts the language in trying to describe it. I mean, he, he's saying it this way and that way and building on this and that. And even here, the exceeding greatness of his power. Kind of saying like it's, it's beyond description. It, it's so great. And notice this power, where is it ex, uh, exerted? Against us? To us. Toward us. For us, this power is on our behalf. And that's what he's going to build here. Toward us who believe. Again, the unbelievers can't claim this. All these spiritual blessings are in him. Those who believe. And then he continues. According to the working of his mighty power. 
according to the working of his mighty power. Um, This is not our doing. This is God's power. And and again, describing his power, it's it's mighty power. Uh, It's it's in in keeping uh, with supernatural power. It's not anything less than that. And keep in mind the spiritual uh, battle that we are involved in as we wrestle against the forces of darkness. That's where he goes at the end of the at the end of the book in chapter six. Uh, as we are involved in great spiritual warfare, uh, God's power is exceedingly great. Uh, his mighty power, His supernatural power, is at work on our behalf. Um, I think we'd be crushed very quickly if it wasn't for God's mighty power. Uh, being enacted on our behalf. Okay. Uh, any other thoughts here before we move on to uh, 20 and 21? Okay. Somebody want to read uh, those two verses, 20 and 21 for us. He's building on the theme of power here. Yes, Twinette. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name of his name, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Okay, interesting the illustration he uses to bring out the mighty power of God here, right? Uh, he's talking about this exceeding greatness of his power, uh, his mighty power, verse 19, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Uh, you're looking for an illustration of God's power. Uh, where might you see God's power today, other than the resurrection? Well, you might see it in nature, right? Right. Uh, you might see it in the Exodus, right? Back in the Old Testament. I mean, there are some other examples, but I think he chooses the premier example of the power of God on display as seen in the resurrection. Uh, The resurrection illustrates the power of God. And remember, this is the power that he's illustrating that is toward us who believe. Uh, When he raised him from the dead, you know that the chief demonstration of God's love is found where? In the cross. And where is the chief demonstration of his power found? Ah, what do we call the death and the resurrection of Christ? Ah, the gospel. Uh, There's where you find the chief demonstration of his love in the cross and the chief demonstration of his power in the resurrection. (laughs) Almost. That's right. Almost. That's right. Um, So, uh, speaking of this power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Um, The right hand is the position of favor, honor, and privilege. Uh, I mean, right there at the right hand of God. The place of exaltation in in the heavenly places. Uh, William MacDonald writes this, The New Testament teaches that Christ's resurrection and ascension required the greatest outflow of divine energy. Why was this? He says, It seems that all the hosts of hell were amassed to frustrate God's purposes by keeping Christ in the tomb or by preventing his ascension once he was raised. But God triumphed over every form of opposition. And I think that's, I think that's true. Uh, you know, it says in Colossians 2.15, 
Uh, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Uh, They could not hold him down. They could not hold him back. Uh, Couldn't hold him in the grave. Couldn't hold him from ascending. God's power was on display in raising him from the dead and then seating him at the right hand in heavenly places. God's power made it happen for Christ, and he makes it happen for us as well. That's the parallel that's being drawn here. All right. Um, any thoughts there before I go on to verse 21? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. In reference to the resurrection and the power, is there here perhaps an allusion to our own resurrection because of that power? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. I think there's a parallel that we now share in that resurrection power. And that relates ultimately to our inheritance and, and the, call, the hope of our calling and all of that that you're talking about. We're going to share in that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else? Okay. Verse 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Uh, Here in these first two words, we have the very same language that we have in uh, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, when it's talking about uh, spiritual warfare and how we we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with uh, principalities and powers. And since he's using the exact same language, um, very possibly he has in, in, in view here the, the evil forces uh, related to the fallen angels and so forth. Um, there is a rank and, and file of, of fallen angels uh, far above all principality. Uh, principality refers to rulers or those, those primacy, uh, who have primacy and power. Uh, the principal players in terms of power players. And again, uh, it's used in relationship to the, the spiritual forces of evil in chapter 6 there. So very possibly that's what he has in view here. Far above all of them, all these uh, principalities, these powers. Uh, powers are uh, thought to be those probably under the principal demons, but still having delegated authority. Uh, and power and might, uh, might means power, uh, so you're kind of overlapping here, and dominion, a ruling authority. Uh, whatever these spiritual forces are out here in ways that we don't even understand, Christ is over and above them all. And then he says, just kind of all-inclusive, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Any name, demonic, angelic, human, Whatever it is, they're all inferior. Uh, God's power on our behalf uh, for us as believers is that we are safe and secure from all of these forces. Uh, He has triumphed over them. And uh, lordship over all, all that are now and all that are to come, now and in the kingdom age uh, to, to come. Christ, after his resurrection, said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth right before he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28 there. All right. Uh, He's not quite done yet. Any other thoughts before we finish out here tonight? Yeah, Vince? That's No need to be sorry, brother. But uh, Ned and I were talking either yesterday or today, kind of uh, comparing the first Adam's temptation with uh, the last Adam's temptation. Oh, yeah. Right? And when Satan came to Adam and Eve, right, to tempt him, he said, you know, have some of the fruit. Yeah. One temptation, one offer, and they fell. Uh-huh. 
Now, Jesus is not a vegan, so he had to go a different way. Yeah, so <laughs> but he came to Jesus three times. Right. Uh, right? And so uh, he wanted Jesus to fall. Oh, yeah. And, and he did not give in. He overcame the ostentation, the power of all these uh, forces. You know, I, I guess we will never understand what Jesus had to go through to, uh, to the pressure of those temptations. Yeah. Right? Uh, we'll never get that, but Satan had to go three times to Jesus. Yeah. And still failed. Yeah, that's right. And and he had like the best of conditions where Christ had been, you know, hungry for 40 days. I mean, yeah, you have you have there's really not a, a parallel exactly there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a good thought. All right. Anything else? Okay, very good. Let's have somebody read and finish out here for us tonight. Uh, verses 22, 23. Who wants to read that? Anita? Thank you. And uh, notice here, uh, he put all things under his feet. This is a quote from uh, Psalm 8, 6. Uh, Christ is the great human representative. I mean, uh, it's amazing what God has done for mankind in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, all is under the feet of a human, not just a human, the God human, the God man, but he's our great champion here. He's our great representative. And that's brought out in this verse. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Now that is an interesting phrase there. Gave him to be head over all things to the church. The emphasis here is he gave him to the church. The one who has this exalted position has been given to the church. That's you. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, let's talk about this for just a little bit. It is true that his being overall certainly includes the church. That is for sure. But the point here is that Christ in his capacity overall has been given to the church. That's really, uh, point blank, the emphasis. In other words, it's for our benefit. Uh, It's like we saw up earlier that his exceeding greatness of his power is toward us who believe. It's for our benefit. And this is making that emphasis here as well. Uh, The one who has universal authority and power uh, is now in a position for the the church. Uh, He gave him to be head over all things to the church. Uh, Christ in exaltation over the, is in exaltation over the whole universe, but he is uniquely spoken of here as being given to the church. He's our champion, given to us by God. What an, what an amazing thing. Uh, our head is the head overall. Um, I've got an illustration here. Picture an arranged marriage. This is just, this is just an illustration now. Uh, Picture an arranged marriage. The man happens to be a king who has authority over an awesome empire. The lady comes from the poor side of town. Now when they marry, the groom could emphasize that he is is the head way over her. And that would be true 
Or he could say, I am the head over my vast empire, but now you are in union with me and will be forever and will forever enjoy the benefits of my headship. Both are true, but the emphasis is different. The emphasis being made here is our union with Christ. Eight times we saw in verses 3 through 14, in him, in him, in him, in him, in him. And we see that here, the greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is for our benefit, uh, all to the glory of God, of course. Verse 23, he's continuing on with this church theme, which is his body. Uh, The the word body is an analogy of uh, organic or, or living unity, this living union that we have as God's people with Jesus Christ. Uh, which is his body. That's what the church is. Make that connection there between church and body. Uh, Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow, this is kind of an ambiguous statement here. Even the commentators say, well, what does this really quite mean here? Uh, Certainly, we see Christ fills all. Uh, The fullness of him who fills all in all. But... We really think it's more this nuance here. That he fills the church, which is is his body. Uh, We are, after all, the temple of the living God, right? We are the temple of the living God. And uh, we are the expression of his divine life uh, in the world today. Uh, he is filling the, the whole body in that sense. Not that we're all spirit-filled all the time, but, but he indwells all of his temple all of the time in that sense. So uh, we, as his people, enjoy the fullness of his life, of his resurrection power working out through us as his body. That seems to be the idea. Yes, he fills the universe, but he uniquely fills the church in, in the experience of this, of this personal relationship of knowing God uh, and having him live out his life through us. This power is working in us, it is working through us, and it is working for us. Note the tremendous emphasis here in this whole section on security, on assurance. We see it in this way. We see it in election. We see it in redemption. We see it in sealing. We see it in the hope of his calling, the certain expectation. We see it in our inheritance, and we see it in God's power, which is operative on our behalf. What an amazing truth this is. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, that major theme running through here as far as security and assurance. And in relationship to what is Paul's main prayer, Ben? Let's begin again. Enlightenment. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking about enlightenment here now. Uh, what, is, what is the main point that he's bringing out? What is the point of all this power? Uh, I think a, a major power uh, part of it is the assurance that we have, the security that we have in Jesus Christ because of that power. We're safe because of that power. Uh, You know, there's a true story here. In in 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was completed at the cost of uh, $77 million, which would now be $77 billion, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, no problem. We got nothing but money, you know. We have no borders, but we have money, friends. Anyway, 
uh, it was built in two stages. The first stage took a relatively long time. The second stage went rapidly. Do you know what made the difference? Ah, you're picking up on my theme. That's right. And what is the security that was put in place? Ah, that's it. Let me continue. Um, During the first stage, 23 men fell to their death and the workers were paralyzed with fear as they worked on that great structure, fearing that they would be the next to plummet to their death in the waters below. Finally, someone had an idea. How about a safety net? Ah, for $100,000, the largest net ever constructed was put in place under the workmen. Only 10 fell into the net. All were saved. And the work advanced rapidly. You know, one of the greatest weapons of the devil is fear. Fear. You know, when you think you're going to lose your salvation or something, it just paralyzes you. Uh, it, it's, it's spiritual warfare. And it's about the mind. It's about not knowing properly. He's praying these people be illuminated. They'd understand. Lack of assurance is paralyzing and makes us ineffective in spiritual warfare. It's interesting that Paul, in the book of Ephesians, builds towards this climactic point in the book in chapter 6, which is largely all about spiritual warfare there. But in the first part of the book, he lays down these deep doctrinal truths that we must grasp in order to help us in the battle. These are wonderful truths of assurance and by which we uh, need to be enlightened if we're going to be effective in in the spiritual warfare. Well, essentially, two words speak to the essence of what chapter 1 is all about. You know what those two words are? I'm wrapping up now. I really am wrapping up now. Uh, What is the key word that verses 3 through 14 flow out of? What's that? Well, that's true. that, That whole sentence is about that. But I'm thinking about a B word. Blessings. Blessed. That's right. Uh, And that relates to our position in Christ. We have been blessed. This is our position in Christ. And the other word that we have seen tonight in our study is an E word. Enlightenment. That's right. Paul is praying for their enlightenment, which relates to security. There you go. There you go. I'm advancing in my teaching ability, but I still have a ways to go. Anyway, no, that's good. You did well. All right. Any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Okay. Well, I tell you, if you can't get excited about your salvation reading Ephesians 1, you maybe need to check yourself. There's great stuff there for sure. All right. Everybody have a prayer.